Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of the Make Comics podcast, the show from Comics Experience, where we talk about the nuts and bolts of making comics. My name is Joey Grow. His name is Andy Schmidt. And today, it's all in the execution. We're talking about when good ideas aren't that well executed. And some uh, pre-show talk we got into, uh, not specifically these these specific movies, but Andy's been watching some movies for for his other podcast. And uh, we were talking about sometimes ideas don't come together. And then you might hear a director commentary and get a little bit of an insight or see an in- read an interview or see an interview and get a little bit of an insight of what somebody was aiming for. And that also happens in comics where stuff doesn't always translate. And, and sometimes that's just, oh, I, I didn't think about that part or it's an experience or, you know, any number of things that can happen. But Andy, you brought this up. What was the the motivator for you thinking about ideas that don't quite, that don't quite get there? Well, it was, uh, okay. So, so my other podcast, if you don't know, I know we've mentioned on here before is franchise fan guys where, where myself and, and two other folks that, that frequent the entertainment industry talk about, um, talk about film franchises and we'll do, we'll drill down on one for four or five episodes at a time usually. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the Predator film franchise coming up soon. If you want to check out Franchise Fan Guys right now, the current episodes are on The Matrix, and I think our final Matrix episode is really interesting. So um, they're all they're all interesting, I hope, but the final one I think is super interesting. Um, <clears throat> anyway, and then after that, we're going to, we're going to be jumping into, into to Predator. Uh, and so I've been watching these Predator movies, and... Um, and I wasn't even sure if we were going to do the aliens versus predator movies or not. Cause I had only seen the first one and I like had like a viscerally, um, uh, hate filled reaction to it. Um, but I'd never watched the second one. It's called alien versus predator requiem. And my brother kind of was like, well, you should maybe give it a watch and see what you think. And he told me what the premise was. And the premise was there's an alien, it, there's an alien infestation on earth. Uh, in a small town, and there is a predator for reasons that presumably would become clear when I watched it. There's a predator that acts as a cleaner, like, and they even apparently on set they even referred to the predator as the wolf, which is the wolf character from Pulp Fiction, uh, who was the cleaner that helps uh, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson uh, dispose of a body, so it's all cleaned up. So that's the idea: is like he's going to go like erase all evidence of this alien infestation. And that's really the the core driver of the of the movie. And I was like, well, that is actually a really like cool, fun idea. Like I like that idea. Um, and then I watched the movie, and I found the movie baffling and not good. Um, but because I am committed to my craft and and my podcast, uh, I went ahead and I watched the movie a second time, but this time with the director commentary. And it was fascinating because the, often at places where I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Um, the directors were talking about like what I was supposed to be getting out of what I was seeing and hearing on screen. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting it. Right. So there were like these things where they're like, oh, well, you know, the, the alien reacts this way to this thing for this reason. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that, well, that does work. That does make sense. Like, you guys did think this thing through. Like, you're not total idiots. The problem, though, and I see this a lot in scripts and artists 
if you're out there listening to this, this is something you hopefully can recognize in scripts and then help a writer address and, and maybe address in the, in the comic itself. The problem wasn't that they hadn't thought these things through and that things didn't make sense logically. The problem was they didn't communicate those things effectively to the audience. So I'm sitting there baffled and think these guys, the writers and the directors, because it's, a, it's, a, it's two directors on this one, that the writers and the directors like just didn't figure this stuff out and they're, 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 it was just lazy. When in reality, they had figured this stuff out. They just failed to execute in such a way that that material was communicated to me, the audience. It all makes sense. Like once they explained it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that does that does make sense. And I'm not saying that like changing a few scenes was going to make this movie go from not good to great. Um, but it would have been a lot more fun to understand some of these some of these things instead of just being like oh they don't really know how that works or that ignores this thing when they had answers for it so excuse me i realize that it happens a lot i see that in scripts a lot a lot of times in a comic book script something of information that the audience should really have that your reader should have is in a panel description and like told to the artist but not in a way that the artist is going to draw it it'll be like oh by the way um you know, like, like he only has three shots in his gun, just so you know. And then the guy shoots the gun two more times and then click and like, hey, on that six cylinder gun, there should be six bullets. But in your head, you'd explain that to me as a reader. It didn't make it to me. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of this sort of like, you know, that's sort of like an on the nose sort of thing. That like, oh, that gun should have six bullets. There's a reason that you explained to the artist why there are only three, but you didn't explain it to the reader. And it's not dem- and it's not demonstrated to the reader, you know, and sometimes, you know, in the case like that, it could just be like, Hey, we need a shot where the cylinder is out before he puts it in. And you can see there's only three bullets. Like that would be fine. Um, you know, so sometimes it's a little easy fix. One of the issues that they were had in Aliens versus Predator is the aliens of the Predators, um, neither of them speak English. Uh, and so, like, some of the stuff that they, they really needed to be able to communicate a lot of this stuff visually through action or whatever. And they just, like, and they, like, it's, it's some of it's there. Like, once they explained it, you're like, oh, okay. But it, it, it didn't communicate really fully to the to the audience most of the audience i don't think uh and the movie has some other issues with it too like it's super dark it's really hard to tell what's going on most of the time um like literally it's difficult to tell what's going on like i i like crank the brightness up like all the way and i still was like eh, i don't really know what's happening um but yeah and so as an artist though like if you recognize like oh you've told me this thing, but like, I didn't draw it. You're not asking me to draw it so that the reader gets it. Then that's something as an artist that you should, you should hopefully feel comfortable enough to bring that up with the writer. Like, Hey, this needs to be communicated to the reader, not just to me. Like, yeah, I need to know, but like, we need to figure out how to communicate this to the reader. So that they're on the same page as us. Um, and that kind of thing happens all the time. And a lot of times what, writers will do when they start to see that or they worry about it is then they'll overwrite and they'll over uh, exposit and then things get wordy and bogged down in exposition which is also not great so like there's this there's this line there and it's something that 
something that you've got to learn um, is what is the information that the audience needs to get? That's number one. What's the information I have that the audience doesn't actually need? That's number two. And then number three, how do I make sure the audience actually gets the stuff that they need? Because sometimes the audience doesn't need to know everything or doesn't need to know it right now, right? And so figuring out what do they actually need. I tend to be a proponent of believing that my readers are, are intelligent people and they can figure out a lot on their own as long as I leave them the right breadcrumbs. Um, and I've worked on projects with editors who are totally comfortable with that. And I've worked on, on projects with editors who are not and have, a, have do not have that. You know, they really want things like it's like explained a lot mm-hmm. um, and, and very, you know, in detail and are often asking me questions where I'm like, no one needs to know this, nor does anyone care. Except you're asking me to put it in here. So I'm going to shoehorn it in, I guess. Um, you know, like, I mean, we've everybody's barometer on these things is is different generally speaking marvel and dc comics tend to be on the barometer of explain everything so that a five-year-old can understand it which is fine if that's what you're making right um you get into more indie comics and and you tend to get more creators that are willing to let you do the work but we're also not usually creating creating stories for for five-year-olds creating them more for adult or teenage audiences. So, you know, part of it is knowing who that audience is too, and then being able to calibrate what you're doing to them. Um, yeah, that was, that was it. Just, I just spilled the beans on everything. There Joey? it is. Tune in for <laughs> some aliens versus predator Requiem talk. And <laughs> I think that, um, you know, I've, I've said it a number of times, just starting to write comics and, I think like any creative endeavor I've done, you start to realize when you see an artist or, or even just you trying to go back and uh, if you're a writer and, and not an artist, start trying to rough out or sketch out what you see a page breakdown as just for your own edification of, okay, well, I need to think about how the page moves and getting the information and the action and the talking. And, oh my gosh, I've completely not thought about how many bullets go in the gun? I, I didn't describe this motivation. It's it's way too complicated. I need to think about a simpler way to do it. Or, hmm, how can I make this have a little more oomph to try to get to this point? You know, at the end of the issue, I need to highlight that more. The actions of actually doing it, which unfortunately, making a comic and feature filmmaking uh, don't let you do a do-over necessarily when you get to the finished product and go, you know what we should have had? We should have had a better act too. Uh, but it, it, it seems like that at that scripting stage for whatever you're doing, you know, it really is the fix it in in pre-production. Uh, Jordan Brady hosts a, a great podcast about uh, commercial filmmaking and commercial directing. And that's something that he repeats is fix it in prep. And he wants to arrive on set and be able to execute and have all of the opportunities to explore that might be allotted with the time and to try alternate takes because they really try to beat up so much of what they're going to shoot in prep. And he knows that he's got a ticking clock of one or two days of filming with crews and people around. So he's not going to go into the situation until he's got boards and until he's got script laid out and until he's you know sure he's trying to execute what his client is asking for. That, that's a bit different because you're, 
you know, work for hire in, in marketing or, or content making content, right? I mean that more on the content writing side. I'm not calling what people make content because I, I don't really care for that as a, I make content, but the, the difference in creative writing and content writing. Um, so yeah, big picture, having it run through an editor or discussed with friends or walking it through with your creative partners, your art team, uh, and, and anyone else to get to that point before you really start to go down that path to learn, uh, to figure out what you need to change or how you could change it, I, I think is super critical. And, you know, for somebody like me who just wants to kind of run, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Getting involved in making comics and the new skill set can be frustrating where you just want to be like, oh, I'll figure it out and get overzealous with that execution where you really do need to, if you have the time, take it apart, even let it sit, put it in a drawer you know, come back later before you even take it to an artist or an editor. Um, you know, I, I imagine that applies differently on the art side or, or a, a cartoonist or creator that's both writing and illustrating, you know, to, to your greater point of figuring it out and, <laughs> you know, having yeah. those conversations, especially in indie comics where you might not have the budget or you might not have the well, connections of, of who to send it to. Well, and you also need to figure out like when, when do you send it to somebody? Somebody else should look at it, right? Because the, the issue, like I said, the issue isn't that you haven't figured these things out or you don't have the knowledge. The issue is that it may not be making it to the page. And because you know the mechanics of the story, you know how it works, you're probably going to read right over it. And because it makes sense to you, because you know the stuff that the audience may or may not be getting. Like, you know it. So when you read it, you're like, this makes perfect sense. So you do need that that other set of eyes, whether it's a friend or it's, you know, so hopefully it's somebody that like, you know, understands story and, and is able to articulate like, Hey, this isn't working. And here's what, like, I don't understand what's happening right here. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, like you, people will get feedback that it's just like, yeah, it's good. Right? You know, I'm like, that's it. Or like, yeah, right. I didn't really understand it that great, but I couldn't tell you why like, you, you need, you need somebody that can, they can get into the weeds a little bit at least. Yeah. And help you out. But you do need that other set of eyes. Everybody does, you know, it doesn't matter how, you know, how, um, you know, how long you've been doing this, like another set of eyes is just really helpful, but you should have the basics. You know, hopefully you've got the, the, you've got the beats and you've got the overall story like locked in. And then it's, it's more finessing and fine tuning at that point. Um, but it was just, you know, it was interesting to me to see like a, you know, this like $50 million budget movie, Mm -hmm. like has, has the same, the same, problems with it that you know an indie comic making an indie comic has like i thought that was like fascinating like they handed these guys 50 million dollars and they're still struggling with the same stuff that we struggle with you know when we're just drawing pages at our desk you know and yeah and that's not a criticism it's not like they shouldn't like it just means that storytelling is hard right like it's hard and they're under completely different, you know, I mean, they had to shoot this movie in like 30 days or 50 days, whatever it was. And, and that, that movie in particular, the aliens versus predator requiem movie is, is really quite ambitious. Like I think they would have been better off in their case um, because they were really trying to expand the world and tell this like bigger story and all this sort of stuff. And they just didn't have the space and they didn't have the full budget to really be able to do that. But like realizing that, like, you know, maybe, maybe the better approach would have been to go, okay, we are limited by these things. We can only do so much. So let's focus it, you know, much more 
like the way the recent um, Predator movie Prey did. Mm-hmm. That's a very focused movie. It doesn't try to do a whole lot, a lot of world building. It just it cuts to the quick, right? And uh, you know, I think I think this this other movie was a lot of like, ooh, we almost got to that thing, but like probably we should have tried not to do as much as we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of other things that kind of, you know, under, under those sorts of constraints, of course they've got like actual practical effects and digital effects they are dealing with and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, considering that it was a 50 day shoot and, uh, you know, not actually a huge budget for a movie like that. Like it's, I thought they did a pretty commendable job. You know, it's, it's one of those interesting things. Like once I understand that I'm like, Oh, okay. Given those parameters, they actually did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's but also that, said, that like yeah. it's a movie that I that I don't recommend to people, you know. Well, it's hindsight, you know, that it's all right. we we should have done X, we should have done Y, we could have done. Yeah, it's you can't go in and and change it after the fact. That's cart horse, etc. The uh the the thing I guess I always try to fall back to too is before sending anything out, you know, how much can you beat it up and sometimes that's just a just from a proofreading he kind of read it backwards see if it makes sense kind of point of view but for me i really do find that drawing it out helps and you know my my career in uh, writing and directing video uh, i still draw out a lot of complicated stuff if it's something that you know a lot of, a lot of what we do is brand video related that has folks want to have the authentic voice so you're filming with clients and with people that work for a company and you're you generally know what you're going to be filming for, uh, not the interview, but the B-roll part, the the coverage that goes over the interview, and and try to create scenes and sequences. And even when we don't have a full fledged, okay, this is what it's going to be. We always try to think through those. Okay, we're trying to show this action. So, do you need a master shot? Probably. There's a lot going on. Okay, do we need a closer up shot? Yes. And we got to have the tool in the hand. Oh, well, he's got to pick up the tool from the cool toolbox. Okay, great. You know, we we will at least write those out in some kind of shot sequence to understand that this is what we need minimally to tell this, we think, uh, versus something that is really heavily scripted where you're breaking everything down by boards maybe or at least, you know, quick sketches or taking photography on a location scout to say this is what we're going to execute. So, and, you know, in that case, I think I, I might tend to think about comics that way too in, in terms of a breakdown of shot sequences and what makes sense, which – you know, the math doesn't always add up or it doesn't always translate to, to the same medium because they're different things. But for my background, at least that's a little helpful for me to try to do a breakdown of, you know, what are the basic storytelling things so it won't be confusing to a reader uh, or, you know, a viewer a lot of times. And at least for me, that's helpful to try to come back with the minimally this executed correctly. You know, that at the end of the day, we always want to do better than, than what we're you know, the ambition is I, I want to give you that extra 10%. So you come back for more and in, in this case, hire us to do more production. Uh, and the same thing with comics is I want you to keep reading. So how do I get that extra little twist? I think we were talking about it on Twitter or you mentioned it and, and I responded to it about uh, Dwayne McDuffie and, and his writing. And I, I got really busy at the end of April into May and had uh, more projects than I'd had since, since COVID started and I didn't really have time to watch or listen to watch TV or movies or listen to podcasts. But the thing that I could put on that I found that I liked having on at these weird hours I was working was um, Justice League and then Justice League Unlimited. 
which is not a series I would have said, you know, at the beginning of the year, you're like, oh, yeah, I love the Justice League series, of course. But man, I've devoured the Justice League series. And there's so many little beats here and there where it just feels like a little bit extra, which is what I think I said to you on Twitter about Dwayne McDuffie is I feel like when his name was attached to that or a comic script, it was always like that little extra 10%. And and I know that that's yeah. hard to quantify and, and put your finger on like, well, why? Why is this person, you know, why do you always feel like you get that little bit of a more of a thing? And maybe I it's think just with, with, with Dwayne's writing in particular, uh, you know, it's because he was really, really good at coming up with clever, like, like the plotting was always very solid and like pretty easy to follow, but he always did something clever with the plot. So like you, you're, you'd have something where like green arrow was fighting the red tornado or whatever. And, you know, green arrow only had his punching bag arrow or his punching glove arrow, right? Boxing glove arrow, whatever it's called. And like, but he wouldn't just shoot at it at Red Tornado and punch Red Tornado in the face with it. He would find some other clever way to use it that may not even be shooting it at all that winds up being – like he always had that like clever bit. I hadn't thought about using the powers that way or I hadn't thought about right. you know, doing this. So he, he's really, really – he was really good at those. Unfortunately, I have to say was because he's passed away now. But, right. Um, but uh, he was, but he he also always, always, always has an emotional core and right. knows how to cut to it. So you you really are getting a complete, clever and emotional package. And in those short Justice League episodes that he wrote, are great examples of that. Well, like that was going to be every my point. single one of them that he that he wrote are like. And the Justice League Unlimited, those were all like done in once. Those right. were all like twenty minutes long. Right, but right. they they eventually move into overarching stories, which I also found uh, really interesting that they were able to make connective tissue happen over the course of five years to have some through lines and obviously thematically. But to your point, it, it really was that like you're fitting so much into this 20 minute, you know, uh, children can watch, I can watch action superhero show where a lot of times there's a little bit of an extra extra business that people get to do too, in addition to feeling like the characters are clearly defined. And I think a lot of times uh, you can look at something that is is like that, that's consumable by different ages. And, and my, my modern example would be Bluey, which is by far the funniest show, I think, on TV. Uh, and it's seven minutes and a preschooler could watch it, you know, about talking dogs. And it, every one of those blueies, you know, the storylines are clear. What's going on is clear. They also violate a lot of storytelling rules, is maybe especially in animation, uh, in terms of how stuff is structured, uh, which is also really interesting. But, you know, I, I think that simple can be deceptive, you know, when you're able to follow that plot and understand what's going on and, and have that. Because I'm, I'm sure those were sweated over. Like, I, I don't know Dwayne McDuffie's career trajectory, but... I'd like to hope that, you know, at some point he sweated over stuff because to be that good from the get go, that's infuriating. Uh, but no, he, his stuff was always so great in, in especially in the comics, too, where it, it did have like what you're talking about, where it just felt like the emotional core was always there. The plots always made sense. Uh, comedy came from characters, you know, funny beats came from character. Uh, sad moments came from character. Dramatic moments came from character. Action came from character. Like it all stemmed from something. Yeah. 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 His, his stuff is really amazing. And you know, the, the, your point, um, I know this wasn't the topic, but for today, but your point about simple is deceptive is absolutely right. Like the, one of the things 
going back to this Alien vs. Predator Requiem movie, which I'm still not recommending that any of you listeners watch. Um, <laughs> the, one of the things about it, one of the reasons why it doesn't work very well is because the simple idea about there's an alien infestation and a predator goes to clean up the mess and erase any evidence of it, that's a really clear-focused idea. But they wind up putting all this other stuff on top of it. There's, I mean, and I mean the there's the character, the human characters are 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 pretty stereotypical and and not great. Um, and they've all got these like different relationships, and they're all running around in all these different parts of town, and all there's just all this stuff mm-hmm. that you're supposed to track, and. Um, and it doesn't like it doesn't like add up to that like big emotional beat and all that sort of stuff. Like it's all it's all grafted on top of what is fairly simple. And the movie, like, and maybe this is to the credit of the of the screenwriters and directors, the movie feels like it's two hours and ten minutes long. Like, but not even in a like, oh my god, I'm like bored, right? Like it's just it's it really is packed with just like a ton of stuff. But like if you had simplified this and like not done the thing where like the alien is also trying to create more aliens, like if you just kept it fairly simple, there are the face huggers, they impregnate people. Now there are aliens. Right. And, but then it goes this extra mile where it's like, well, now they're going to try and try and create this new colony and to do that. They're like interested in pregnant women, which is really dark, whole thing um like there's just all this stuff grafted on top of it and and it seemed like they were just like this idea this idea this idea and they're not illogical necessarily in terms of like where like i understand they come from the simple idea but like this movie had you honed it down and made it more like if you trimmed some of those branches a bit i think it would i think it would have helped a lot because it just you wind up at some point you're like why am I tracking all this stuff? Like, what does this all have to do with the the idea that we're trying to clean up this one mess? Um, and it's deceptive. And, you know, as a creator, as a writer or an artist, like, you wind up liking things. Like, you, you know, if you're writing that script, you're like, ah, that's a pretty cool idea. Let's track this down. And then if you do something kind of neat with it, you're reticent to cut it, even if maybe you probably should. Right. Yeah. I. You know, the... The older I get, the more I appreciate that kind of storytelling axiom of um, you can tell a simple story in a very complicated world. Uh, you know, that that I think is something that I didn't really get until seeing some examples. And, you know, I think about something like Mad Max Fury Road, which is a very complicated movie to look at in the sense that there's so much action. There's so many everything's a chase like it, it's just kinetic and constantly moving but it's a really simple story it's a getaway it's a okay well why is it a getaway and you, you start to build on why are they running and and that brings in all the the bigger themes of of what that movie seems to be about right. uh, and you can talk about what characters doing what what their motivations are but the very simple thing is they're chasing them to get people back and how many days that was shot and how long it took to make that and, you know, watching it in the theater going, I can't believe I'm watching this movie. How is this a thing? And, you know, I, the story, I, I don't know, that can be complicated when it's that much going on, where there's that many moving parts. And, you know, something like Star Wars certainly has a couple of different stories happening, but it's 
it's the hero's journey as, as we've all heard, you know, numerous times, right? you know, and it's, it is complicated because there's aliens and now it's old hat, but at the time you're like space and aliens and Darth Vader's and the forces and there's a giant floating moon and why, and there's just so much going on that is now kind of sci-fi Joey, tropes. I think, I think you should know that's no moon. What is it? Is it, <laughs> is it a plot device that we're going to see for about five or six movies in a row? Yes. Uh, (laughs) yeah it is it is interesting you know like i mean uh, when i think about like simple stories that are like well told and even like like longer like i look at something like unforgiven and unforgiven is really quite simple but it's so good because it's it's so well told with the with how well defined these characters are and all that sort of it's a very simple and the world isn't that complicated either you know and but then you're right then you can do something that's in a complicated world but there's a but there's a simple but there's a simple story that helps you navigate through it right yeah the pov character and all that sort of stuff help too but uh yeah and it seems like a lot of times when stuff does kind of fall apart for whatever reason like um the alien versus predator requiem example you know there there might be good ideas at the core that started out and for whatever reason it just it maybe just has stuff getting layered on top of it or maybe there's a release date we got to make or maybe the studio just said do it then and whatever those other factors are you can't always control it's just uh you know that's that's the extreme i think uh scenario versus comics where you know outside of maybe a marvel and dc when you're part of a, a train that's always moving and putting out books if you're doing your own thing you know hopefully you'll you'll have time to build up stuff and you know, I, I wonder too about that because a lot of times with pitches that I made is I've developed a fairly tight, you know, four or five issues of at least plotting, if not having written. And you wonder like, well, if this is, you know, fortunate enough to find an audience and to keep going, like, am I going to really, you know, is that sophomore effort, you know, that next round of five, is that going to be the problem where you're like, oh no, I worked for the other for a year and a half. And now I got to come up with the plotting for the next five issues and make sure that also is equally good. And, you know, I think you see that sometimes again in features of people that have that follow-up movie after their hit. And, you know, is it something that you rush too quickly and, you know, why does something not work? I think there's lots of different reasons, but it's well, you, you also see it even, even with actors that like win an Oscar and then like the next movie they do is terrible. You know, like that happens, that happens more often than I think people realize. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it is interesting, but you, you, that's usually from, you know, people putting pressure on themselves or trying to live up to expectations, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, you know, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting. Like you talking about, like, there's a problem in act in the last act and it's probably because you didn't set something up and properly in the first act it's better to do that pre-production work that was sort of how you were talking about like better do that pre-production work fix the things before they're a problem yeah and it, and it reminded me of like playing soccer where you know like i'll go and watch a a, a soccer game and there will be a long pass right they cross the ball across the field and the person that's supposed to receive it and then score the goal kind of fumbles with the ball a little bit, maybe loses it. And so the, the scoring opportunity disappears, mm. but you know, and then it's interesting. Cause like, sometimes I'll be kind of like looking around, paying attention to who's around me and the, the, the people in the, in the, you know, in the, in the seats that are like, Oh, he lost the ball, you know, and like kind of put the blame on the, on the guy, on the guy at the end of that play, usually nine times out of 10, 
that's because that pass wasn't great. Mm. It was a really hard pass to receive. The guy had to slow down or something like that. You know, it's really it's really hard. I mean, and I'm I'm not saying that, you know, but like the anyway, the, the point being that you know, the problem probably started earlier than the point where he, where where that one guy lost the ball. It may have been, you know, the other player's fault on the yeah. on the team because, you know, because it was a it, it wasn't set up properly, right? Um and and the same thing happens in in story. There's a lot of overlap, you know. I feel between story and and sports and the way that like as the teams are supposed to work together and how one thing has to logically lead to another. There's a reason why we do these things, right? Um, we were watching a game the other day and my parents were watching and they were like, "Hey, why did so and so hang on to the ball as long as they did?" And when there were three defenders coming. And I was like, well, they did that intentionally because they were drawing those three defenders over to them, which opened up the two forwards that those defenders should have been covering <laughs> so that so that then he could pass it through to the defenders and they had an open shot on goal. But at first it's like, hey, there are defenders coming. You should get rid of it. It's like, well, no, actually, he, you know, he was drawing those defenders in over to them so that they were outside of the play when he when he crossed it in it's interesting because you do those sorts of things like that's set up and payoff that's set up you know which is all stuff that we do in story as well it's just it's fascinating to me the other places in life where we where we see these you know similar concepts yeah and it's hearing you talk about it i think being able to recognize it in and of yourself in your own work is is also hard to get to a point of, of realizing where stuff doesn't work that's in your head or not in your head or being able to because you've invested time and, and, you know, the blood, sweat and tears, emotional investment. Uh, I think about sometimes playing with my daughter where she'll blame, you know, me for something and I didn't do whatever the blame is. She, she's frustrated because she dropped the ball or she didn't catch it. So I always try to say, hey, I, I gave you a bad throw, you know, to really because it's hard when you're a kid to navigate like, well, is that my fault? Is that somebody else's fault? And not you might not be able to parse it. And I think that, that can carry over to adulthood too, to not know that, Hey, you know what? This is on you. <laughs> this is your fault. I, I know. I think we've all worked with people like that, that don't have the self-awareness to understand, you know, their shortcomings. And it can be uh, not something that folks can always navigate to see like, well, the problem is stemming from you didn't pass me the ball. The pass was terrible. <laughs> right. And to also know like, Oh no, that was a great pass. I fumbled it. That's my bad. Right. And I find yeah. that, you know, the quicker you can take responsibility when it is your fault, the better, because it gets it out of your brain and it lets people know like, hey, that's my fault. I screwed that up. Right. Yeah. And and that's important as a collaborator, too. Right. Like for for comics, be like, hey, that one's on me. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it really is fascinating. Like, I, I you know, it's interesting because you would I, we were, I was talking about sports and then you went to parenting. But I see a lot of the same stuff in parenting, too, um, which I always find fascinating i've learned more about storytelling from being a parent than i have through all the classes i've taken put together all the stories i've written all the books i've read all the movies i've watched but being a parent and just seeing what works on little people mm -hmm. and how they react to things mm -hmm. has been has been the most like kind of amazing lesson in like like viscerally like that worked that didn't work mm -hmm. and you know instantly because they let you know <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they have no filter um absolutely or yeah 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 for sure 
Well, we could keep going on uh, storytelling, and and I, I'm actually curious, and I'm, I'll put you on the spot, and I'll 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 vamp a little bit for you. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie comics recommendations, the one that I always think about, and I I don't know where this fits into your timeline at Marvel. I was not reading a lot of Marvel comics at the time, and I picked up um, Beyond, which is darn. That's what I was gonna say. No, yeah. <laughs> I snaked it. Yeah. I, I don't even know exactly why I picked it up other than just convenience and it looked cool. And boy, did I love that. It's a, a great just kind of back-to-basic storytelling kind of uh, miniseries. Yeah, it's self-contained. It's interesting and fun. And I don't remember it I don't remember it that well now. I just remember that like when he kind of pitched the book, I remember being like, there's no reason to publish this. But I like it, and maybe that's the reason to publish it. So you were involved with it then? I was an assistant editor on it. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. So I remember reading that pitch, and we and the way it worked in our office um, was, we, yeah, everybody in the office there were three or four of us in that editorial office. We would we would read we would read the stuff, and then we'd just have a powwow about it. And I was like, I don't, you know, like I don't, I don't know, like it's cool, but like I don't know why we would do this like like because at marvel there it seemed like and and probably not as true as i felt like it was like it always seemed like you know they're like the the thing you're working on had to like lead to the next thing or had to tie into that thing or like even if it was subtle or i had to say something really you know unique about this major character or whatever um that was always the goal and then there were and then there were those projects that you did like because you're like eh, we do have to put out 70 comics this month so this would <laughs> be one of them and i remember the pitch for beyond came in and i was like it kind of is more like one of the latter in that like it doesn't do those things now it turned out that it actually did have like really interesting cool things to say about those characters oh yeah they were just characters that weren't particularly like big happenings of Marvel at the time, but they're good characters. Right. So, Outside was, of Spider-Man, it was kind of not right. folks leading their own books. And I think that was also part of the appeal as it wasn't a multi-part, you know, crossover. And it was telling that story with those characters in play. Yeah. And it was really, and it, yeah, it was unique and it was fun. And, and that's one of the things that Dwayne does well is he takes these characters that really have no reason to be together. And then has fun with the with the differences and the similarities of those characters, and brings out really interesting emotional things in those characters. It's, I think that's a really good example of some of the things that we talked about. Dwayne doing really well. Um, the first thing I remember Dwayne that I remember that I noticed Dwayne's name on was there was a prestige format Deathlock mini mm. series. Like yeah, I want to say in like the mid the late eighties. And Butch Geist, Jackson Geist at the time was what he was going by at the time was the artist on the first two issues. And then, um, and then, uh, who took over from there? Uh, Denny Cowan took over for the last two issues. So, wow. they, and their, their art styles are not similar. And so that was right. fairly jarring. Um, but, but Dwayne and there were, he, I think there was a co-writer on that. I think there were two writers, but that was the, like, and I thought it was awesome. I look back at it now and I'm like, you guys did a really good version of the Terminator in Marvel comics, um, you know, or, or, or cyborg or whatever it was, but you know, it was, um, it was, it was, it, it certainly like was using themes that were popular at the time from, from some popular 
films and stuff. But I loved it. I thought it was great um, because it was all inside the character's head and it was it was really good stuff. That was the first thing I remember noticing him on. And then like I kind of followed his career uh, pretty much from then from then on and he kind of disappeared from comics for a while was in animation i didn't realize he'd gone to animation then i saw his name on justice league and i was like whoa i remember him he did some cool stuff you know and then like and then those justice league cartoons were phenomenal but yeah Yeah. from from when i was at marvel and i was i was a pretty big proponent i mean obviously like i'm saying i was following his career a lot i was a pretty big proponent of of trying to get him to come back and do more stuff at marvel yeah Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm the reason he came back. Like other people agreed with me because I was like, Justice League Unlimited is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to get Dwayne, and then and you know, and and I didn't know, but my boss Tom knew Dwayne, and was like, Yeah, that's uh, that's a uh, that's a good point. And like he like, <laughs> dropped him an email. Like um, he's like, Dwayne's Dwayne's real good. And I think the only reason I think Tom hadn't already emailed him is he probably just figured he was busy. Right. Right. Um. You know, and so we reached out, and and um, I don't remember exactly how it happened. It wasn't quite that one-two, but you know, we talked about him and all that kind of stuff. And so I was really fortunate to get to work with him, and in the limited capacity that I that I did, but I did get to know him, you know, decently well. And you know, we hung out a little bit, like at San Diego Comic Con, a couple of times and stuff. And yeah, super great guy. Well, if you've never read any of Dwayne McDuffie's work, there's a lot out there. Damage Control might have been where I. First, my first way oh, that's right yeah he invented damage control which is a terrific concept and yeah if you haven't read that and then his um at dc milestone media uh milestone comics was a huge huge thing in the 90s and and now today too uh with milestone being back if you haven't read any milestone comics there's uh you know you can get some of the stuff on the marvel and dc apps if you have those and of course, find them at your local comic shop or have them order for you uh, on the trade side. There's there's a bunch of good Dwayne McDuffie stuff off. I, I enjoy when uh, the conversation veers into areas that we didn't plan on, uh, especially when it comes to a, a great writer who is unfortunately no longer with us that uh, put out a lot of great comics and, and had a, a stellar reputation. So go until next time, go read some Dwayne McDuffie comics. Uh, what's going on with comics experience, Annie? Is there anything coming up we should tell folks about? So we've got our intro classes starting all throughout the month of September. The intro to writing class will start by the time this drops, I believe. It starts on September 7th. Uh, but we still have spots uh, for it. Uh, usually it fills up you know, within a day or two of it starting. Um, but we've got intro to comic book coloring starting the following week. And we've got intro to, comic book, intro to visual storytelling, which is intro to comic book art, um, starting the week after that. Um, and there are, I believe, still spots available in both of those. They're super great classes. Um, and then um, we had a pretty huge hit uh, last month uh, at CEX Publishing. We just got the orders in, so you can't go out and buy it yet. Um, but for Saga of a Doom Universe, number one, the orders were huge. Awesome. Um, and uh, that's really exciting. Like, we've got uh, – it's not our first hit. Um, but it's, it was, that was a big deal. Cause it's a little pricier book. It's got a higher page count. It's prestige format, perfect bound. It looks really, really nice. Um, so, uh, but yeah, fans and retailers both seem to just be like reacting to it. We've been putting out a lot of like sending out like previews and stuff and people have been like, okay, this looks awesome. Um, so if you haven't told your retailers yet, tell your retailer, you want to pick up Saga of a Doomed Universe number one. There are five awesome covers. Um, 
you don't need to buy all five, but feel free. Um, but the book is just super interesting uh, and super fun. It's about superheroes in a universe that is uh, doomed, doomed. Uh, as it as it turns out, and it's them trying to fight that off. So it is this sort of like this homage love letter to like big superhero crossover events of the 80s, but it's all self-contained, um, and there's more to it than that. So like mm. that's sort of like the buy-in. You go in knowing it's going to be this big rompus of these cool superheroes and earth-shattering events. But then once you're into the story, it starts throwing you these curveballs and you realize like, oh, it's not just that. It's it's a lot more than that, too. And it's really it's really super cool and super fun. And Scott Reed is the writer and the artist. And he's he's amazing and a heck of a nice guy. And so go support that book. Let your retailer know that when copies show up, hopefully they've ordered it already, that when copies show up, you want one. And uh, I don't think you're likely to be disappointed. Excellent. You can go over to comicsexperience.com for everything related to making comics and classes. And then there's cexpublishing.com as well. If you have a question you want to hear talked about on the show, you can email info at comicsexperience.com and we will talk about it here on the show. Until next time, keep making comics. <laughs>